Hey everybody, welcome to the Sex Actually Podcast. It's your boy Dave. This is the show that I run that you listen to. <clears throat> this is my little uh, warm-up note here. I like to talk to people. Sometimes I like to preface these episodes and sometimes we dive right into it. Man, this, uh, this episode, while it needs no explanation, I just wanted to say, wow, did we go places. <laughs> this was a wild one. I uh, spoke with my good friend Bridget Fetissey. And, you know, Bridget and I never met before we started doing podcasts together. This was the third time she's been on the show. And, you know, I met her probably eight or nine months ago. Uh, Bridget writes for Playboy. She is hilariously honest. She's a, she's a woman who, you know, she's had a lot of struggles in life. We all have. And uh, people always say comics are fucked up because uh, some of the stories we, say, we share are just nuts. But I think the truth is that comics just, we're just open. You know, like I've... For the last two and a half years, almost three years, I've been honest with everyone listening about my relationships. Good, bad, ugly, happy, all that jazz. And um, it's not always pretty. And uh, I think a lot of people that listen, you know, you listen for the fun sex stories and the bullshitting, but also sometimes it gets real. Today we had both of that. Uh, we had we had a lot of fun. We t- we tried to explain feminism to each other. Yeah, let's see how that one went. And then, uh, and then shit got real. It got really real. And... Uh, I'm so proud of Bridget for feeling safe enough to talk to me about everything that she talked about. It's exactly what you want as a human being on this planet to get so honest and open. And and all I can say is when you shine light on your issues, your issues go away. When you shine light on shame and guilt and all this repressed baggage we keep inside of us, they dissipate. We see that our fears are just, you know, that dumb saying people say, false evidence appearing real. But that's what it comes down to. And Bridget, I swear, we had like a breakthrough together. She touched me. And, um, and uh, I can't wait for you guys to hear it all. Um, I'll give you guys uh, one quick other thing here. Um, I got a great review from Holly. So thank you so much, Holly, for this review. I'll read it. It kind of pertains to this episode. Holly said, uh, so much more than sex. <laughs> I followed Dave over here from YouTube. I regret nothing. This podcast makes my drive a true pleasure. To the point where I'm hoping for more traffic and laughing out loud all by myself on the regular. It's about so much more than sex. It's about relationships, communication, thought patterns and processes, experiences and interpretations, just humans. I find it to be insightful, comical, and refreshing. Holly, I don't know about you, but I needed to hear that today. I'm going through some rough stuff on my own end, and I'm trying to untangle all of it and make sense of it all. And and that's what, that's what I found out with my... Um, conversation with Bridget. So hope you guys enjoy. Thank you so much for the review. I'm going to keep reading these awesome reviews. Uh, for those who still don't know how to do it, you got to search Sex Actually on your podcast app, click on the icon, then click reviews and click write a review. Uh, it is so appreciated. It's helping us uh, find find new followers and it's uh, <laughs> it's been great. So thanks for joining us and thanks for, thanks for tuning in, leaving me messages on the Instagram at sexactuallypod. I really appreciate it. I really love hearing from you guys. It makes a difference. It makes it feel like I'm not just talking to myself on a roof, which I'm doing right now. But anyway, again, my sincerest gratitude to all of you listening and to Bridget, who just kicked ass on this episode. Let me know what you guys think. Welcome to the Sex Actually Podcast with your host, Dave Neal. All right, welcome to Sex Actually, the podcast. Your host, Dave Neal, with returning guest, Bridget Fetissey. How are you? I'm well, thank you. So good to have you back. Is this the third time? I think it is, yeah. Nice. Everything good happens This is like my therapy. Yeah. No, you <laughs> like, always say it's your in. therapy, but then I, I show up and I'm like, help me, please. <laughs> That's my job, though. You're my older sister now. Yeah. That's who you are. I'm if my older sister. sister's listening, I'm sorry, Chase, but you've never helped me through anything emotionally. <laughs> it's okay. It's That's nice. kind of the role I have online now, too. It's nice to offer and help people with advice that you don't know them too well you yeah know I mean? yeah i mean i think that's why people when they go to like their hairdresser and people that well i guess we kind of have the same community with comedy but with like your hairdresser or women in particular i'll confess everything to like the oh, woman who does my eyebrows oh, totally when i was driving for lyft i would have people tell me the craziest shit and they'd be like what the fuck do i care who are you and i'm yeah. like well i could be record i should record this but i never did but yeah, it's good. It's like um, I have people that write in and ask questions and it's like, who's better to give you advice than a guy who's got nothing to gain from it? You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, other than 
thousands of listens. Yeah. <laughs> Anything that gets me downloads. <laughs> so Bridget, so last we talked, you were writing. So for those, if you haven't listened to our past episodes, pause this, go back, do your homework. Cause we had some great chats. We did. You're one of my favorite guests. I love chatting with you. Not only cause we're both from the same town and, and we didn't know that, but we both <laughs> are stand up comedians. You're a writer. And now you've been writing, I feel like, were you writing for Playboy when I first had you on or you were just like in a trial period? Um, yep. I was just in a trial period. God, the good old days. <laughs> Seems like so long ago. And now what's up? They, um, they love you? I'm still there, which is somewhat of a miracle because you, anyone with the internet knows that there was like a little bit of a digital fallout recently. You outlasted all the nudity pretty much. <laughs> that's impressive that you outlasted topless chicks at Playboy. Um, that's kind of when they brought me in. Well, a little <laughs> bit, right? Yeah. It, uh, right before they launched the, I guess they launched their safe for work version of Playboy, the non nudity in March. And I started doing, I started doing freelance for them April of 2015. Wow. And then I did like a couple, I did about five columns freelance and I basically begged my editor to let me have a column. And he was like, no. And then, <laughs> <laughs> nice. yeah. And then I gave up on that idea. And then come December, he was like, Hey, we're thinking of trying something new in the new year. Uh, why don't you pitch us like a bunch of your ideas that you would write about if you were to have a column? And so I pitched a bunch and he chose the most challenging for me to write, which I had a feeling he was going to choose. Which was what? Which that one? was the, um, women date assholes because you're a pussy or like she dates assholes because you're a pussy. Nice. Um, yeah. <laughs> One of my old time favorites. And that's the safe for work version. I love it. Yeah. That's no, but it's, it's so I'm not safe for work. They always have to put the warning on the, so the, the new playboy, is, I love it. The nudity is gone, but now my, the writing is X rated. <laughs> well, you know, you can get nudity anywhere or Instagram. You can get as you can get anything you want to see, but good content and creative writing is hard to find, especially that, when you're getting, giving advice. Yeah, I think that that was their point of going non-nude was like, well, you can get it anywhere. So now we're going to dial it back because it's interesting. You know, I was in the airport and I was like, oh, Playboy's right out in front and you can see it. And you and don't, yeah, you don't have to like read it on the plane and be all weird about it. Or at people least still look at, it still has. That's the issue, I think, with the transition is that. You know, they had this brand and then what does that brand mean? And now what does it mean in the new world? And what did it mean? And then it kind of took on a life of its own. And there was then Playboy TV. It had all these different branches. And I feel like, they have you know, radio. yeah, they have a bunch of things. I think they're just, you know, trying to um, rein it in and and it seems from my like what I've observed is just that they're looking to um, articulate their new tone moving forward. Yeah. But, you know, like as a writer, writing for Playboy is a very high bar. Yeah. Like that's a big deal. It and people is. joke around about like, oh, yeah, I would go for the articles. It's like, have you read a Playboy article? It's like, it's a, it's, it's, they're well written. And just the historical like list of people who have written for them is impressive. There's so many of my heroes, Margaret Atwood's written for them. Um, just Vonnegut. So it's like the list is endless. Really. Have they ever asked you to pose for them as one of their writers? No, and I you? do this joke on stage. I'm oh, like, yeah, it's kind of one of my, I open when, when they say that I write for playboy, I kind of have to take the edge off because people are automatically like judging me. And I'll be like, oh, yeah, I was like, funny story how I got that job. I went in and I was like, hey, <laughs> so I want to be one of the models, took off all my clothes. And they were like, oh, that's lovely, ma'am. Do you write? <laughs> <laughs> Here's a dictionary and a thesaurus. <laughs> I'm like, you sure you don't want to see my vagina? <laughs> in fact, we're never showing vaginas again after that. <laughs> Thanks to you. You've got a you. face for print. <laughs> well, but that's okay. So you so you are super persistent. You, you pitched some ideas and then... They tried me out for, they gave me a two-month trial period, and in six weeks, and they gave me the job officially of um, sex and relationship columnist for digital, and which you, is still prestigious, but it's still like 
print for me was yeah. still always like which is funny because like digital probably gets more view more views oh than absolutely print. and it's totally where as somebody in my position trying to build a name it makes more sense to be on digital and that is something that um it's kind of been a double-edged sword and that on the one hand it's great and it's brought some um notoriety and like whatever i don't know if it 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 gives me a byline. On the other hand, feminist um, organizations and like publications online really won't even. I have some resistance, and I've posted on like some. There's um some like female oriented sites that help other women in the freelance world. And one time I was like posting something trying to get help. And the next post after it was like, I don't think we should help women who write for organizations that we uh, don't support. Geez. Well, here's my question. Cause I'm, I've been doing this bit on the sex actually podcast called like chick explaining where women explain, cause it's like a joke on mansplaining, but women explain feminism to me and not in a way to stump anyone, but I genuinely don't understand what I'm supposed to be for or against when the women, who are feminists are cutting each other down with the actual definition of it all. Right. There's, it's, um, you know, the new have, so has anyone explained like intersectional feminism to you? Um, that's, th- that's a word that just shuts me down. Like I want to know what you're saying, but I don't even, is that English? Well, you posted recently on Twitter that you understood feminism and I was like, please explain it to me. Cause <laughs> well, then I, I don't. say I understand it. Why? Because, um, oh, I said I understand feminism because there was a crazy dude at a, at a comedy show and I put my headphones in so he wouldn't talk to me. Oh. And I was like, now, <laughs> and I was like, now I get it because chicks always AirPods get. AirPods now. Yeah, but Keep I. Li- topical. He was literally like really loud. And I was like, oh, he's making the rounds. Put your ear. Like, I, so I put my, my like Bluetooth headphones in just so I didn't have to. But I was kidding. I don't understand feminism and I never will. I mean, I'll never understand the actual issues women face as far as like being objectified by men and all that, but I want to. And I think most guys do. Most guys, like we want to live in a... In a, in a harmonious sort of like utopia right. where women feel empowered and, and feel good and safe. I don't want my girlfriend to be like, you know, not wanting, you know, I, I don't want her to be fearful because she's coming back from a job where yeah, she's I'll dressed in a certain safe. way. Yeah, and it's yeah. like, she, well, she's working and it, she shouldn't have to say like anything. She should be fine. But, you know. Yeah. So I, so I don't understand feminism. But what's intra intersectional Oh, I don't know if I'm the right person to define this at all because there's so many, um, it's, it's too complicated and kind of not boring. That's the wrong word. It's just too complicated for us to like jump into right now. (laughs) I'm not the right person either. I'm, I understand it. I don't know that I would do it any kind of justice defining it and give it the, give it i'm not an expert in gender studies well my my, i've learned a lot writing this column because i've had to but i am not an expert in i didn't go to college and take like my roommate did and she's like i'll get you all the books i'm like great because and i have been reading a lot more about it on gender studies and i was in dublin with my friend nitai who's brilliant and she just got her master's and you know gender studies and oh really and she's brilliant and it is it's um it's interesting because there's so much sexism you don't even see it it's like the air you breathe you and mean men don't see it or and women even okay. me even i'm guilty of i and a lot of feminists have called me out online and said we're sorry that you've so internalized the patriarchy that you can't even see that you're you're whatever you're you're they say that to sexist. you yeah i hear it all but, the time and that, but you can't defend yourself because they're calling you blind and you're saying no i can see and they go you don't even know what you can't see which is kind of the zero-sum game i see with feminism and men when now it's like oh you're mansplaining where sometimes it's like well okay but a man can still have an opinion exactly and not so be... i don't necessarily agree with just shutting a man well down. i feel like men have shamed women in the past and now it's our turn to be shamed i mean and it's not it's very it's very select and we can take 
fake it, but like I I, t- I, t- I joke about it because it doesn't matter to me. But like I don't wear my hair in a bun on stage because some chick can be like, "Hey, he's got a man bun." Like yeah. when when would I ever be like, "Hey, this chick's got like woman bangs." Like we would never. But girls can be like, "He's mansplaining. He's manspreading. He's man bun." It's like, whoa! Like, are you? Don't you? Can't we be feminine? Can we like share our feminine energy and our masculine? And I get I get that men have been horrible. Like I get it, we're scary. Like Lucy K is a bit like you shouldn't ever talk to a man. Men murder. We're yeah. horrible. We rape. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, totally. But it's also like, wow, I'm you know I'm finally done. I'm done feeling guilty for other people, and I want to like move forward. And I want men to be a part of the conversation and not be afraid. Right. Well, this is kind of uh, it's interesting because the you know, you, I hear a lot of like, oh, poor you, you finally have to like deal with it. And I do feel that way to, cert- to a certain extent as a woman where I'll hear men kind of, I, I get a lot of both ends of it where I can't really win. Like I wrote that pussy asshole thing yeah. and I was like, I somehow managed to unite the male rights activists and the feminists in yeah. one piece. And I was like, get me a Nobel Prize <laughs> because they both equally kind of came at me. And that was an interesting it's moment. A, you get a Femi nom- nomination. I'm yeah, it's, a, Femi it's interesting because they're both, ex- you know, there there are extremes in any kind of anything. And ex- ex- the extremists are they're they're all bigoted in in, in in similar ways. Like super Trump supporters are also kind of like people are like so far feminist that they like hate man- men. It's like it's the, you shouldn't be ashamed to be feminist, but there's people that go too far with that way. And then the, the what would you say? The man, what, what's it? Male right. MRA is male rights activist. Okay. So male rights activist. It's like, that's, that's like, it's like an elastic recoiling from, we're all just sad. And, and it's like, I'm not trying to, you know, I think most men aren't trying to be like, Oh, woe is me. It's like, Dude, invite us to the table. Yeah. I get it. We fucked up. Like, we're listening now. But we're I do see a lot of, I mean, when you look at things like Gamergate and the act, like actual silencing or attempt to silence women, what they do, even Leslie Jones, for instance, sure. like posting pictures, posting your private information, getting docs. These are federal offenses. You know, sure. it's serious finding your family members threatening my family like that's fucking terrifying and men don't understand what that is like and when you hear a man who's like oh wham man and it it's like uh welcome to the thunderdome bitch like the rest of us <laughs> have been in here tr- because women have been repressed people of color have been repressed all everyone else other than the white male has been repressed and now you're actually being brought into the rumble and you're all not all of you but many of them are crying like little bitches yeah and like can't handle it yeah you took away our little well like my friend heather turman was talking to me about that because i'm really trying to work it out on stage talking about mansplaining and all that but it's tough it's a tough but it's like there's a there's a point of view there that's like let's like i want to be logical but also not come off like i'm anti-feminist you know what i mean right. but like as a as a male on stage i still have to have a point of view right and unfortunately 85% of comics are white men so when you hear 85% of male point of views it might get annoying right. but we're still each a single person like i'm still trying to i'm still trying to get sta- like spots doing stand up shows i'm trying to make money and support my you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't care that Louis C.K., even though he's Mexican-American, I don't care that Bill Burr <laughs> or some of these other people, I don't care that they made it. I'm trying to make it. Right. I'm trying to be like wrap my head around this all. And as you know, hosting this podcast with pretty, pretty equal male, female listeners, I think it's like, all right, white flag is up. No one wants to win. The I only... don't know that the white flag is up. Maybe for you. Well, yeah, well but if... I don't sense that well, generally okay. from most of the, I mean, I have a population of readers who are men who I would say are quote unquote woke, whatever that means. <laughs> But they seem to be, you know, there is a certain population of men who are evolved, generally good dudes. Again, I think it was Jon Stewart or somebody many years ago who said, we only hear from the extremists because sure. they're the loudest. Yeah, but like the 80% shitty, the sh- of us are in the middle. Just it's like the kinda... shitty Yelp review. It's like someone's so mad they're going to write a horrible Yelp review or something. Yeah. And it's like you get these shitty reviews because people are so called to action. And people that people that actually post and comment online, it's a, it's a boys club. Women have better shit to do than comment. Like the comment section online is just a horrible set of trolls. I mean, I get it. I get it all the time from dudes that are white knighting, sticking up for women, trying to get laid. They'll get mad at me. Like it's all. It's a. It's just a vicious. 
the internet's a vicious place, so I don't know if that's a sample size, but like I would hope that people that are listening to this podcast probably understand where I'm coming from as like a dude who loves my girlfriend and my my mom and my sister right. and like my niece like I want I want all I want us to all be clear and not be in a place where like men feel so shut down that like and 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 I'm not worried about men feeling shut down. I just want to be part of the solution. Right. And I think that most men actually do or a, a good majority of men do actually want to be and I don't know that you know when you're talking about things like privilege and um guilt and white guilt and these things there's so much shame that comes up with that and the thing about privilege is that you aren't even oh i'm a woman but i still consider myself extremely privileged I mean, americans are privileged of course so we it's are. all yeah it's all it's all in perspective of course we are and but it doesn't mean you shouldn't be m- more privileged to the basic human right that white men have so like the wage gap and and like you know you should still be like living up to what what is right in this country, right? But I still think it's important that you tr- do your very best to before you even try and understand something like mansplaining. I mean, one of the things that I really started to re- look into and get curious about because of my. Um, own internal resistance to some aspects of feminism was the history of feminism. And as I, I watched this movie on the plane, one of my like long hauls where I watch movies <laughs> and cry hysterically. It's just what, when I cry, when I feel comfortable crying. I hope you're not in the middle seat. You're just like, always. You're like the Debbie always Downer in the, in the middle, middle seat. seat I book every ticket that, that day. <laughs> I'm always in the middle seat. So I watched Suffragette, that movie that came out, and oh, it was... Oh, Tasha wanted to watch that, and I was like, Amazing. Ah. Really? Amazing. Amazing Would I like it, though? You might, actually. You might... I mean, I think all men should watch it. Okay. Because it's interesting in the in the way that, like, women... You forget how far we've come, actually. How... What we take for granted now, all of these privileges that we take for granted... I mean, the right to vote is so recent. It's so recent. <laughs> and women were losing their children over trying to get it, that right to vote. I mean, it's heartbreaking. The, and it made me... I'm like, wow, you know, free the nipple. We've come a long way from from like not being able to vote and in a pretty short period of time. But it really did make me um, conscious of it's like electricity. We just take it for granted. We're like, we turn on the lights and it's there. And we're so humans are just so fucking lazy. We get Wi-Fi on the plane. And then as soon as it goes out, we're like, oh, where's the fucking Wi-Fi? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like exactly. He he is. We are. By nature, I feel like program. I'm sure the cavemen that had fire, like five minutes after they invented fire, they were like, "Where's my fucking steak?" Yeah. <laughs> you know, like after hundreds of thousands of years of eating raw meat in that cold ass cave. And yeah, I was like, eh, it's medium. No, they're like, Honey, eh, you didn't cook it right. <laughs> <laughs> Bitch, get my steak. Caveman's bitching to his wife. Yeah. you overcharged it, honey. <laughs> the fuck? It's too hot in here. Like already complaining. So okay, so but. Yeah, so, yeah. You know, I, I this column so... has been amazing for that because it puts me in the rumble. You know, it puts me in the middle of that discussion and I have to look at... There are so many feminist women who are so much fucking smarter than me who are writing really brilliant dissertations on, you know, things like friend zoning and why that's a derogatory term. And in some respects, I feel very simple minded. Why is that a derogatory term? Because it towards, it's, towards men or towards women. If men use it, it's considered derogatory. Uh, see, I don't even know how to be offended right now. <laughs> Just like because it wouldn't you be, you wouldn't be offended. God forbid the guy with the blue balls. But it's that's the thing is that you it's the sense of entitlement about having sex. So it's considered Jeez. it's considered derogatory because you are are basically saying like well i deserve sex i get i i can wrap my head around that but i'm also like cut what the fuck because guys know how hard it is 
to even meet a girl. We know how hard it is to find a girl that trusts us and loves us. So like, God forbid we feel hurt too. Cause like every man, well, this is the, this is the perspective that I'm dealing I with. I totally, yeah, no, I mean, I can, I can hear that and I'm, but I can also see every guy and see the pain and fear that a lot of men have over yeah. being rejected by women. Cause it's like, you might see like me, like I'm, I'm, you know, I've learned how to talk to girls and sort of deal with rejection. But like, like earlier today I was filming my man on the street videos and, um, I still, you know, talk, Hey, do you mind if we talk to you real quick? And chicks won't even look at me and I'll yeah. be like, motherfucking, like I'll get so mad cause I'm getting rejected yeah. and it sucks. And when guys, when guys that have been rejected in high school or like they've like, you know, just like girls have too, but like they hold on to resentment and it's not right or healthy, but, uh, you know, to, be, to, to, to fall in love with a girl and then she won't reciprocate it. And he, and he labels it friend zone. It's like, God, give the guy a bone. Well, yeah, I mean, and this is where it's been really interesting for me to what I feel as is stand in the middle where I am writing for a men's magazine and a men's publication that traditionally has these connotations of quote-unquote objectifying women, which I don't agree with. I remember reading articles from Hugh Hefner because he was one of my idols growing up, just always. And he used to say he couldn't win because he was like, I'm liberating you guys. Like the feminists would take him to task. And he was doing something that was revolutionary, which was pushing the limits and saying, no, the female body is gorgeous and we shouldn't. And then it became this thing of, oh, no, we're actually unrealistic, maybe unrealistic body expectations and objectifying women and. So he was like, I can't win. And he was always, I think he always came from the place, whatever internalized sexism might have been in his, his upbringing, because we're all victims of our upbringing, essentially, but it's our job to kind of evolve, evolve. And I think one of the issues people have with feminism, um, like all of the movements, Black Lives Matter, whatever, is this, they what I, as far as I can understand, it's this perceived victim mentality and the, there's so much reaction, you know, it's all, everybody's reacting to everybody else. There doesn't, it's not a discourse anymore. It's not a conversation. It's just everyone in a relationship when whoever jockeys to be the victim, it's like fights over. If, if I'm fighting with my girl over who's offended more, it, and I know it's more complicated when you're talking about full full on gender issue, like. But it, to break it down with a man and a woman, just simple, like if we're we're if we're bitching about who's more offended, it's like we're missing the point. Like listen to each other, right? And I know that's harder to say, like in more complicated terms of feminism and and all, and all these other issues. But it's I don't know. It's I mean, like, look, I, yeah, I don't have the answers, and I know. I but, do think though that the male responsibility because men always ask me what can we do i would say listen educate yourself learn like do some fucking research because men will just be like how am i going to defend myself and i see this with male comics where they're like i'm going to get on stage and i'm going to talk about mansplaining because this is something that i'm reacting to instead of actually doing any research about what mansplaining means you can google mansplaining and get 17 jezebel articles about what it actually is and maybe try and instead of just reacting to it actually read it from the perspective of your girlfriend or your mom or your sister or somebody that you care about and i would say the same with like race relations like it's our job when we have privilege to educate ourselves in the areas in which we can't you know i was in dublin and yeah what brought you over there you were just just in pilgrimage i just i just like was in the fetal i was on the couch in the fetal position because it was so dark my thoughts were dark and really because all of a sudden i saw these photos of you in in in, uh, ireland i was like what the fuck that's awesome yeah i just booked a one-way ticket i do it when i'm feeling like i need perspective um it's a long story. We'll get to that. Um, so you took a middle, you sat in the middle row. But I was in Dublin and it was post-Brexit, right? Really, really post-Brexit. And I was in, was staying in North Dublin and there were these two women dressed in the full, like there's a lot of ant, the Islamophobia over in. Oh, sure. Yeah. So much. I, well, I live in France and it's crazy. It's there. crazy. And these two women were walking and then this drunk white Irish guy watched them come out of their door and he was just standing at their gate 
yelling, the worst, most racist, Islamophobic, like, go back to your home. And then he was following him down the street, and me and my were friends in, like, were, like, kind of, like, yeah. Wow. And we were, like, we're sorry. We were kind of apologizing for him. And then I stopped, and they, he kept going and going, and I was, like, I've never had to experience that, ever. I've experienced sexism, but I've never experienced that. Maybe, like... In the restaurant industry, them calling me a lazy white girl, but but that's still not, not that not, level. Yeah, and not. I've never had to. I've and it really was one of those moments that like just drove home privilege. Sure. Like that is privilege. Is not that is their daily reality. How did that make you feel as an American woman? Because um, obviously we have a long way to go, but it's it is crazy to see, and that's like a Western culture. You know, what I mean, that's not even like. Far from. I home. was defensive of them, you know. Like sure. I was apologizing to them for his behavior, and I was like, "Yo, but you know, like we were kind of like, buddy, chill out. Like, not. We went to their all three of us to our, you know, we all went to their defense, and we Good. were with a very tall Irishman who was like, don't knock it off, like, and kind of put himself between the guy and the women. And this is what I. It's not. It made me feel the same way I, f- I felt when I witnessed racism growing up. Like, just it never, it was never felt right to me. And I've always, my instinct has always been to defend people, any kind of person who is in need or, I don't know. It's just yeah. bullying, you well, know? It, well, it's it, like basic fucking but bullying. Don't, and, and, this ha- and this happens in any group, but. I just see the bullying within women's groups. Like I see Amy Schumer is like being kicked out of the f- the feminist movement by other feminists. And it's like sh- she was like on your side, like you loved her. And, and now there's all these articles trying to like tear her down. And yeah. it's like, did she get too big to fall? Like Lena Dunham. I know Lena, Lena's that she did the whole um, thing with Odell Beckham Jr. Where you she, know like, what? she, I generally don't feel anything about her other than like whatever. And I'm not a huge fan of her work or anything. I've been able to m- maybe see 30 seconds of girls without yeah. getting annoyed. No, and she crossed the line and she she apologized. But she did. And you know what? I read her apology. It was the first time I actually kind of liked her where I was like, she took personal responsibility she owned up for it. Yeah. and held herself accountable. It took her and- a few... Learn something. It took her a few tweets to get... So for those listening, basically she was sitting next to Odell Beckham Jr. at the Met Gala and he was on his phone not talking to her and she kind of like... Exter- she had all these thoughts about like, well, he wasn't looking at me because I'm not. She projected, but she like quoted him in her own head and wrote an article about it, and it was like really fucked well, up. Well, it was an interview between her and Amy Schumer, right? That she posted on her website, Lenny. But when you're reading, yeah, but when you're reading it, she's quoting him as if he said it, but it's real. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's just all fucked up. And um, and you know, people came at her being like, oh, you're you're saying that black men should all be s- sex objects, and they all had a good point. And in the end, basically. She just forgot that, like, she was oppressing another group, and it's and it's tough. And she, it took her a few like tweets and messages to like. At first, she was defensive, but you know, th- and that's the thing with today's technology is that people can't always get to the apology right away. Sometimes I'll fight with my girl. And, she like, she apologized in like twenty four hours. Yeah, you know, uh, that yeah, was yeah. Pretty, but that's pretty pretty fast. It turnaround. just took her a minute to like hear people's point and be like, oh, at least yeah. she heard it though. He's not a bad guy, and like. For all she, I mean, he's you know, who knows who knows what his deal is. You know, like yeah, he's, he's a football player. It's I a think preseason she, football. Like, <laughs> well, I loved that she admitted that she was like owning up to projecting her own insecurities on him, which ultimately I think is the root of all of our absolutely. I mean, that's like this book I was just reading. I've been reading Brene Brown, and again, men and women, but men. If you want to kind of. Um, educate yourself about how to deal with emotions in general, but women and men, um, she's like the, she's amazing. And she was saying that in psychology, you know, like shame is the master emotion. It's like all of our defensiveness and reactions and things that, that, that default, like everything that you are projecting out there and reacting to is like some comes from some shame that you're feeling somewhere. And us Rhode Islanders, you know, we, we felt it. (laughs) Yeah. Shame was pretty in my family. It was, it was the you know, that was, that was the measuring tool we used. I don't even, I always, you know, it's weird. I was talking to my shrink and I, I recognize that, 
I was always the, because I was always a new girl, I was always bullied. And so I didn't even really notice color. Like I didn't grow up, even though I was in cities and I was, it wasn't like I was in predominantly white. I lived in downtown Minneapolis. I was, I was in lots of mold. I lived in um, Connecticut, like in an international community where the parents were all working in the city. It's sure. like multicultural upbringing where I was going to different schools. And I think because I was the new girl and always bullied, I never noticed race it's just like i was too busy trying to survive as the new girl who was kind of the subject of bullying and so it really wasn't even something i became conscious of you're more worried about your own yourself yeah i was trying to survive and then i moved to like a very all-white suburb of minnesota and that's when i suddenly was like oh there's no other like colored people no other colors it was like all white and it's just easy when it's all of your type to like be close-minded and have group think i mean it's just easy yeah. that way we don't see it as much like los angeles I lived in new york like there's too much i've i've lived in hispanic neighborhoods for the last nine years yeah that's like a third of my life has been spent be- being the white guy like at the taco stand ordering my food in spanish like i've done that in spanish harlem i've done it here in koreatown which yeah. is all spanish where i live and it's like and that's just because I, I live in lower rent areas. Even in Rhode <laughs> Island, like where I was, it was all kinds of, like there's so many Portuguese. One end's Portuguese, so many, the yeah. other end's literally people straight off the boat from Dublin. They're in town for the summer, like yeah. the, the teens making their money. It's, it's, it, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting, but like, I, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. If, if you're worried about, you know, your own safety, you're like swimming in the deep end, treading water. You're not, you don't have time to think about all these other issues. And you're not usually bullying people when you're the one being bullied. Maybe later in life, but a lot. Yeah, usually bullies were bullied. That's a pretty common thing. But like, do you have you do you bully anybody? <laughs> not yet, but not I'm yet. planning. It. Give me an inch. Will you Give bully me a fucking inch, and I will be bullying everyone. <laughs> Speaking of your dating life, anything in Ireland there? Any? No. Did you, you didn't get the Irish curse. No, I was. Have you been seeing anybody? No, I've been. Um, no, I left. My fuckboy got a girlfriend. That's always oh, depressing. Shit. Okay, so w- w- you're you're a fuckboy in L.A. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was yeah. this the guy? Was this guy who peed on your chair? <laughs> it was it. Yeah, it was that episode one we had. Uh, this is a three part series. So the first part, maybe. you had a guy who uh, tinkled on your, uh, your tinkled chair. on my chair. Um, and that's the thing is like I talked to my shrink about it, and I went in right after I found out, and I was kind of upset, and she's like. Is he the one who peed on your chair? I was like, <laughs> all right, we're not spending another five minutes on this. Point make, like, point taken. All right, go I to the first it. episode of this, of our chat. Search search for Bridget. Um, no, but that's always that weird thing of like, why not sense. me? You know, like, I, I so have he, this. So he was seeing you casually? Casually, and, and that's fine. And the truth is, is that I wouldn't even want, it would be a shit show. Like, I know that sometimes, usually, often, the best sex is not always the best relationship. That's sure. just, like, kind of an, I feel like, known fact, one which I refuse to believe. But I do think that, like, it just don't, I don't think it would have ultimately, it's like rejection. My so shrink said something so smart. you guys had good so sex, smart. but not like a... A solid relationship? No. I mean, I don't think that he wanted one at the time, and now he does, and that's good. I'm actually quite happy for him. You're and allowed to be happy for him, but also wonder, even if, like, you're allowed to be like, why the fuck? I don't even know. I don't think I wanted you, but because it was his choice, it's like you're not in control well, of it. Well, and like my strength said something brilliant, rejection produces, like, obsession. So even... Reje- if, hold on. Rejection produces obsession. It's like... Okay, I've got to remember that. So yeah. I think I'll make that the title. I like that. It <laughs> does. It's like re- it causes it. And they've done scientific studies on this where if you... And it's it kind of explains why when you, you know, women date assholes like that. I'm like, this explains everything. Like when you get rejected by... Even though you might not want that person, you just the act of them rejecting you makes them makes you want them. I've been watching Bachelor in Paradise. I'm not, I'm not proud of it. But this one chick keeps on getting rejected by the guy, Jared, who's from Rhode Island. And she's obsessed with him. Yeah, And it's it almost does. like... I feel like, yeah, reject... It's like you just become... Because you're like... You're why? like getting rejected like you were a kid again. Like, what, why, why did you reject me? I need to find mm-hmm. out why I need to date. Like, I, I always said as a, as a joke, like... 
like this girl ghosted on me and i was like i don't i didn't even want to date her i just oh, wanted to date her is the worst it's the worst. i was like i just want to date her long enough to know why i didn't want to date her anymore right but because she rejected me first i'm obsessed with the fact that i couldn't finish it on my own terms. <laughs> right and that's kind right. of fair because but like that's you know that's what happens yeah it's an interesting phenomenon i really would like to actually learn more about it but it is it's like I always say to women when they're trying to get over a man, I'm like, you have to write them a letter and be like, dear blank, you represent a broken part of me that doesn't love myself enough. And I say this to men and women because ultimately it is like, I am happy for fuckboy, and I do actually not think that like it would be a healthy dynamic. And <laughs> I love that his name is fuckboy. <laughs> yeah. So B O I fuckboy. <laughs> B O I. Um, and I, I, I can also hold that feeling of like, why not me? And explore that. Why, what, where does that, that's like one of my big, that is my, that's a big trigger for me. I'm always the other woman. I'm always like the really? dirty secret, the, even online, even online. It's like I've had edit. My editors are like, you write the most read column and the least shared column because nobody wants to share that. The most read and least shared. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. Well, I get, you know, with this podcast, I find that I have a ton of people writing in how some of the episodes are juicy, you know, and then, but I also have guests that want to get bleeped out of it. Like they just want to, they're like, oh, gee, please don't share that. And it's like, it's because they've like got, they've shared too much that right. they feel comfortable talking. Right, about. right. That's fair. I mean, and I get I'm it. like, I guess that means we're on, to, we're on to something. But it's also annoying for me when it's like, oh, geez, you didn't want to, not, you know, you're not going to fucking promote it because you, you think you look slutty. Like, come on, yeah, we're, 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 I got it. You know, that happens all the time. But especially with podcasts, because you just start chatting and you kind of forget, like, yeah. oh, this is going to go out in the world. Yeah. I had, I had to have a friend that I did a podcast with um, take something off the podcast, which and her boyfriend got really mad at me. He was like, you're censoring her. And I was like, you're not the one who posts nude pictures of yourself out there. You, you had, you wanted you to be off. I said something that I wasn't comfortable with the public knowing. Okay. And and it was her podcast is very chatty and it's like, you're not even holding a mic. They're just mics there and it's four people. And so it's easy to kind of get lost in the moment. And And it's easy. And I'm always, if I see something, I'm like, all right, but we'll bleep it out. You know, I'll go in afterwards and bleep it. And that's fine. But it's like, I want, I want someone to be proud of what they're talking about. Right. Some people just comics are for the most part are pretty open books, but people don't, not everyone lives that way. Yeah. Not everyone's willing to talk about things. They, they, clam up and it's like wow geez that we have some issues then if you're clamming up i get that like this is a, you know this goes out into the world but like don't we want to be like open about things and like learn and all that yeah I guess people aren't there but it's also very um different being a comic getting on stage and trying to tell jokes because even though you're very raw and naked and people aren't laughing or they are laughing and I would say it's the most raw form of performance arts. There's still that huge disconnect between what being vulnerable. So I would say your podcasts are like fun and light and whatever, but you also do get people in a place talking about things that maybe they're like me talking about being the other woman is something that I'm vulnerable about. I j- make jokes about it on stage. But it's something that I have to talk to my therapist about for hours and hours and hours. And I think it's great that you're gonna that you're gonna bring it to the stage because I'm sure there are people listening that also are like, you know what, I've been the other woman too. Right. And like what so what what I mean, what maybe like what have you learned as to why you are the other woman? Um, okay, so there's I do the joke. I'm like everybody always says it's like the sad woman with low self esteem and daddy issues and I'm like, maybe I'm a sociopath with no moral compass. Maybe there's something to that. I think <laughs> my therapist, again, brilliant woman, she said, You date unavailable men because you're unavailable. And I think that's actually in my instance the most accurate explanation yeah that's like a simple way to put it and it's like and i'm unavailable because i'm fucking busy i actually don't have time for a boyfriend i think i want a boyfriend for like two minutes when i have love feelings weekend feelings as i call them sunday but then i don't yeah and then i'm like oh but then i keep think think that through and it's like oh god then the like checking in and the 
I can't get on a one-way ticket to Maui with my ex and the... I Did you do that? Recently? I mean, I do whatever the <laughs> fuck I want. That's why I love being single. Yeah. So, you, so, so you're subconsciously finding men that just aren't clingy and they've already got their own shit. Or- and I have self-esteem issues that I've, you know, I'm very publicly working through some of them in my columns. More and more, I feel like, actually. And... That can be challenging. Um, I also have probably daddy issues. I think I don't ever think it's something that simple. I don't think it's ever really just like, oh, this you when it comes to psychology, it's so many different things factoring in. Like yes, you got untangled. You got untangled. Yeah, in a lot of ways. how can you? It's like a we want, we want to be knot. like, it's this, but it's like, come on. It's like my mom hugged me, but. You know, I've uh, like I got I got issues. Yeah, like I want everyone to li- like me. Like I I I'll chat with trolls online because I don't want it to end bad. Yeah. I want to find out why they don't like me. It's so stupid. Yeah, you know what I mean. mean? It's, it's like it's interesting. I don't necessarily. It's like being the other woman isn't something I'm proud of, but it's also like I don't know. It's just. I'm also working through the other side of it where I've been the other woman with men enough that I know it is not fair to put a man in a prison. And this is going to be the fucking worst thing I probably ever say, but you can't, I don't really know what the gray area is when you've been married for a long time and suddenly the affection is gone and you don't, you suddenly don't want to sleep with your husband or you lose your sex drive or even something biological like menopause, which isn't really even your fault, but now your husband isn't getting any sex and yet he's still expected to be monogamous. That's fucked up. Like that's not fair. So you've been with guys you're saying where, where you, you feel like you were sort of just like their sex worker. Like you were Not just like their sex worker, but it was, but a, it was a, it was a relationship that worked because you, it, it, you knew it wouldn't go far cause they were married and it was like just purely a sexual like light thing. Um, I mean, I've written about being the other woman on, on, in one of my columns about, I've been the other woman in many different circumstances and, and mostly where the where the main woman doesn't know. Look, I have a fucked up history too. Like <laughs> when it comes to this situation You're like a war vet. Sit down, Dave. Listen to this. I'll tell you something I've <laughs> never really confessed ever online. Yeah. And I feel comfortable talking about it slightly. But it's it goes with this whole like the psychology of of why this territory is something I have to explore and look very seriously at and continues to reappear in my life. So when I was 19, I got out of rehab and I didn't really have very much support from my family, um, mostly because my mom was disappointed in me and whatever. I'm not blaming anyone my stepdad came into the picture. He was very supportive, and he hadn't been. He was a disaster for most of our upbringing. It was, like, violent and insane. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought, oh, here comes this guy who is going to be supportive and believe in me. And then he, like, supported – I here's the double-edged sword. I wouldn't really be here if I – hadn't had him saying you are an artist this is why you were a heroin addict and you're going crazy and you need to live in la or new york or you're gonna fucking self-destruct but then one day he came over and told me he was in love with me and interesting yeah you're like interesting well how did what did how did you take that well it fucked me up i was 19 and out of rehab (laughs) like i didn't know how to take it it it's something that I, I I still don't know how to take it. I mean, I don't expect you to know how to even... It's like I've gone to shrinks who have told me they don't know how to... That I need to talk to other people about it. Because it's so... It's like weirdly common to have this... And my mom knows and she's still with him. So it's like there's been a long history and it's very complicated. And I'm not even going to like get into all of all of it. But it was like... Um, I left, I left, I went, I came to LA, I basically packed up my car. Everyone went crazy. I mean, it caused, it's caused, um, crazy enduring, that you left and, no, it's caused enduring damage in my family. Like that his presence in our life. My mother's not like trauma, the worst kind of trauma. So he told you these things and your mom knows. Yeah. Yeah. And cause he, well, here's what's interesting. It's like, you're a younger, like you're the, 
you're the spawn of your mom and like he loved well i know i've started kind of writing jokes about this which it's brilliant i'm sorry it's brilliant and it's not rare it's not rare my girlfriend's got a younger sister and i'm like not attracted like but i'm not like no it's not not rare her younger sister's beautiful yeah and it's and it's different but it's also like and i'm not saying it's right but when it comes to like genetically men oh, are attracted to in, something and you're just, yeah, a, I got it. Being in rehabs and rooms of like recovery and whatnot. It's like the most fucking common story ever. Every, you start talking to women about their stepdad and it's like, Jesus Christ. I, I'm like, Hey, stepdad, stop being so fucking creepy. <laughs> Here's a <laughs> uh, PCA for you. <laughs> please chill out. Yeah, stepdads. I, I get it, you know, but, but he never acted on it or anything. He never, he just, uh, no, I mean, we're not going to get, <laughs> that yeah, i don't think right day. now yeah it's not it's then so I complicated i was, understand i i mean i do it I was mean, like I, what was damaging about it was that it was more of like a in the same way that like kind of cult leaders get you to kind of trust them spiritually and believe in yourself and like they give you all of this i was an empty fucking vessel i had been drugged and raped the year before i had been in rehab i had been with it was like I had not. I had no idea. I've never for, been so lost ever. Yeah, you're searching for stability and someone to trust, and, and mostly some kind of like. And it sounds weird. It sounds trivial to say, but it's like it's like if you're a kid and finding out Santa's not real. I mean, I, I hate to compare it to that, but it, for me, it's like, oh, what the fuck? We, I believed in that. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, if that's not, then what else isn't real? Well, mostly he made me believe in myself, and uh, and when I didn't at a time when I didn't, and then when that happened, it. Like I might cry. It all. Um, it's okay. It's it all got taken away. Like yeah, all of it. My and everything that I thought was like true, I didn't believe. And so every step in the direction of like this life that I'm living, writing for Playboy, living my dreams, was kind of always simultaneously like I would self destruct and undermine myself because it would mean that he was right. And yeah. it was like so fucking twisted and fucked up. I spent most of my twenties like drunk. I couldn't look at it. But who you are now is a strong, a strong woman. You know what I, I mean? mean? And it's not. I it's not because of him. That I no, don't. I, I I I I so look forward every time I get to talk to you because you're a you're a you're a you're a pow- powerful force. You're out there. You're you're sharing your heart and your truth with. On, on a huge platform, and it's just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. Right? You know I what mean, I mean? It is. I mean, you, you're, it's honesty, and it's something that cannot be contrived, and, and it's probably more relatable than you think. Maybe. I mean, I, mean, I, I think that it, I'm writing in my memoir about this because it was the most formative thing. Like, it costs me my relationship with my mom. Like, yeah. The person that's supposed to, like, protect you. And that is, like... You know, I have massive defenses. My friend the other day, she was like, I am like one of your best friends and I feel like I'm just inside the moat and I'm not even in the castle. And I do keep like most of the world at arm's length, you know, for this reason. Why would I trust anyone? Anyone. Absolutely. Ever. Absolutely. And that's something that I, I couldn't tell you how to. But, you know, your mom... No, it's not. It's about trusting myself. Well, in in this case, like, everyone... We were talking about this earlier with, like, when you're being bullied as a kid. Everyone's trying to survive that you wonder where, why your mom wasn't there for you and she she didn't have the resources to be. And I do believe that. But here you are, like, in L.A. killing it. And it's not it's not the path that you want. It's the path that you were given. And I'm just ripping off Tony Robbins, but (laughs) but that's what he talks about. You're given this shit. So you're stronger. Not because it's what your mom wanted to give you, but it's because no, I believe that. And I do think like every bit of, you know, I moved every year. I didn't, I was like just empty. I feel like, and then I was drunk. And so only in the past, like, three years i have three years of sobriety and october 18th god willing which whatever (laughs) and um only only like 
only in the past year, really. The first two years, I was like depressed because I'm like, life is going to suck without drinking, which I think is a pretty obvious sign that you're an alcoholic if you want to kill yourself when you are faced with not being able to drink anymore. Sure. And I started using when I was 12 and drinking, and my parents split up, and I was really just left to my own devices. And for most of the, and then in my 20s, it ramped up for obvious reasons. And, um, I really only feel like I'm just discovering kind of myself, like whoever that is, in a way I never really have. But every bit of like... You're giving me goosebumps. Every bit of self-esteem that I have, I have had to earn. You know, it hasn't... It's like I look... I was talking to my shrink the other day. I'm like, I feel so insecure. When I go into the comedy store... I instantly feel like a 13-year-old. Call me next time you go. I just I feel, feel the same way. way. I feel the same way. I feel instantly. Like, I am reduced to 13 years old, new girl, in every fucking school that I was. I don't want to tell jokes. I'm so threatened by all the For other For those comics. listening, it's like the high school of stand-up, and it's, uh, it's one of the, it's like the museum and staple of stand-up comedy, but everyone in there, everyone in there is insecure. Everyone yeah. in, they literally write your name on, on the wall once you're funny enough to be a paid regular, and until then, everyone's looking at everyone has a threat so i totally know what you feel but like let me call me next time i'll go hang with you i love like i get i totally get that feeling but i was like how do people you know like i look at people like i don't know like it's such a dumb example but like Kristen bell i'm like she seems like she's so light and like together and she was like bridge have you ever heard her story like she had supportive parents like so much of it comes from your your upbringing, and I'm like, so how do I ever get outside of the? Well, like- her like spirit wasn't here to be challenged in the way yours is. That's how I feel. Like you you were here to like really grow, and like you say, oh, you've only been sober for three years, whatever. Like you know, the world doesn't really work on the time frame we do. Like it's really an instant, and you've been picking up the rubble in such a brief amount of time. Like, you're doing a really good job. Yeah, like I mean, like figuring it all out you're you know what i mean like it's uh it is kind of like a me they say it's like an onion and it is like i went for two years and i was like fuck this what am i doing and they just kept saying it gets better it gets better and then suddenly right around two years it did start getting better where it like there is a massive gap between getting sober and wanting to be sober and that gap is the something that like i don't is the hardest thing to traverse and now it's like i actually really want it i see how good it is for me especially given my history my family history with alcoholism my own history with drug and alcohol abuse and my history in just life and life experience and not really having um, you know, it was a tool that worked really well. Like I think given my upbringing too, I, I would have probably killed myself if I hadn't smoked weed every day. I I'm grateful that I had that because I didn't have the brain to process what was going on around me. Sure. And I, that just gave me enough distance from it. So Until you could deal with it. Yeah. But then I just kept carrying the, you know, it's like that Buddhist, the parable where it's like, you make a boat and cross the river and then you keep carrying the boat. It's That's what I was... I needed to well, like you put know down the boat. Cr- Here's what scares me is that you're so much more grounded and well-adjusted than you probably imagine. But I, I fear for the people that are listening to this with their own dark secrets that, are so, that have buried them so far. And I, we've all got them. But I just fear that like... Imagine the souls out there that aren't ever able to come to terms like my, my father passed away a few years ago never really got to know, know him vietnam vet major issues my sister also never really got to know him uh didn't want to call him on his deathbed didn't want to talk to him yeah and like she was afraid and we really didn't know him well so it was weird but i was like you know i just talked to him myself i was like chase you got to get on the phone with him you don't have to facetime whatever you got to get on the phone with him like he's 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 on the way out and i'm and i was so glad when she actually did she was too mm-hmm. and he on his deathbed learned so much it took him it took him 60 plus years to figure it out you're so young with what you're figuring out and all that matters is that we do figure it out mm-hmm. it's no rush it's just that that thirst for the knowledge mm-hmm. so for those listening for you for me with the, and my girlfriend, like my girlfriend and I, we, we've spiritually gone, come so far and we have so far to go, but the fear, the anger, the fights, they've, they've started to dissipate Good. because we're, we're understanding I'm on your team. Yeah. You're not, I'm, you, you, when she's angry, it's not at me. It's, it's, it's the fear that she has 
and the heaviness of, yeah. of our love. Yeah. And it's easy to say, oh, quit it, run away, whatever. And in everyone's case, we have different ways to grow. But in yours, it's like you're out here. You needed to be in a place. And, and L.A. is so isolating yeah. that it's almost like what worse place could you be yeah. than Los Angeles to like figure it all out? It's almost like you couldn't put yourself on more of an island. It's isolating and it's competitive. You know, like I really tried to be super supportive. This was something else that I worked when I was like talking to my therapist about. I'm like, I would be really supportive online of like women in particular because I never had that. And I really was like, I also sometimes feel the need to overcompensate to make people feel comfortable. It's another just habit I picked up moving all the time. Like, oh, I'm just going to like overcompensate and be super nice and like make you feel comfortable so you're not threatened by me. And then it's, I just realized in LA, it's like so fucking vicious. You know, there, and there, I do have like truly good girlfriends, but for the most part, it's like support. I had to learn, even in the past couple of years, the hard way. Um, support the people who are supportive because I was supporting a lot of people who were not s- reciprocating that support. Yeah, you at just got to push them out of the way. And, and yeah, I, I know what you mean as far as like, just be, be with the people that you respect and know that they'll r- return it. And yeah, no, LA, like LA is a place where there's a lot of riffraff in your way and you need to like move them away and just be with the ones that are meant for you yeah. and for like the kind of path and the speed that you're going. And I just have so, I mean, if I was going to, you know, you when you said that about like thinking of the people out there with dark secrets, like that's everyone, I think. Oh, anyone yeah. could, anyone listening to this will feel like we all have those things we're ashamed of. Like no what I told you is something that's like the d- deepest, probably my deepest like shame button. And you're airing it out. And it's not, gonna... and it does feel good to say. It's like weird. Shame dies when you bri- bring it to the light. Yeah, you know, it's like it's there the is dark. something powerful about just like ah, like okay, it's out there. Absolutely. All right, it's like I'm liberated from it because I also come from that family where it's like information is power, and so I'm worried. Like the more information that people have, the more they're able to use it against me. But that was also part of the reason I started getting naked online was like, okay, no one's ever going to be able to say I have these nudie selfies from you and I'm going to put them online. It's like they're out there. And so to be fearless with my words in the same way, Isn't it's it funny like that that's harder. Maybe than, so much harder. Cause it's like, that's in, that's on the inside because I, because <laughs> I am somewhat of, obje- I have somewhat objectified, but probably cause I've somewhat, um, Maybe it's that internalized like patriarchy. I was but just gonna say that. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm, I don't. I. It's not even because I view myself as an object in the patriarchy sense. I have a deep sense that I am just a meat suit with like some kind of weird energy inside of me. So I've but never felt gets... deeply connected to this body. I yeah. feel very much like I'm borrowing it, and I've definitely abused it. And now I am more concerned with like, Oh, I probably should like take better care of this. Well, when the soul leaves, we just reduce to stardust. I mean, I'm not trying to be all hippie here, but like the body decomposes when the soul leaves. And when you see a dead body of somebody that you loved, you do really deeply understand that sense of like, Whoa, we are a fucking meat suit. And haven't haven't they they done that where they weighed someone who's about to die and they actually weigh like, isn't it like six ounces or isn't there a movie about it or something? Yeah. It was the, uh, the Da Vinci, one of the, one of the Da Vinci code movies. Yeah. But it's, but I thought that that was true. Maybe fact check this people that you actually like, (laughs) They can actually measure the way like of the Trump right but now. But it's like uh, <laughs> all white people's souls are heavier than <laughs> no. But what you're doing is you're there's a there, whatever roadblock there were was in that part of you where you've held on to this. You're letting the energy flow yeah. freely, and it sounds so new age to say, but that's where cancers are formed, and that's where like big, like when you hold on to the onto real repressed fucking hurtful shit, you're. It, that ugliness it shows on the outside, yeah. the pain. Yeah, and 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 you're and you've already released so much. You you do have like a glow to you where you're just like you're being you and you're doing the best you can, and it's what it's it's way good enough. Yeah, it feels. I feel like I'm just right where I should be, which I think is a new feeling. Like I feel very content. I wanna, I wanna probably push myself more to get on stage because I know that I have this. Again, double-edged sword where I love comedy. I think that I naturally have an ability 
And I also think that the learning curve between me being good and now is so massive that it intimidates me. And I, I also am writing three, three screenplays. I'm writing three books. Like I'm trying to get it. So like 80% writing 20% stage and make stage because stage has opened up a lot of doors for me. But luckily here, there isn't that much stage time anyway that it's like, it's so hard to come by that that's a good ratio to have. Yeah. Like if someone's just 100% got to be on stage, like I try to do sometimes, I'm like, I'm fucking, I need to do other hobbies because yeah. it's just tough. And I, and you have to really be committed to that lifestyle, which I can't. It's not healthy for me. I don't, I find myself going into like dark places when I'm hanging out with only comics. Yeah. What was, I was talking to like Cyrus recently and, and I was texting with him and I was like, I don't know. I love comedy, but like sometimes the comics, he's like, yeah, comedians are ruining the comedy scene. And I'm like, oh, please totally. tweet that. <laughs> I had the best set of my life last Tuesday. This Tuesday, bombed. Yeah. I lost all that. Just fucking it's amazing. Bombed so bad. It was an open mic, it was whatever. But in front of all my peers and yeah. the improv. But the previous Tuesday, fucking best. Like, it just was. Oh, it's like, always in front of our peers, too. And oh, it's yeah. like bombed. And I'm like, no, but you ju- I just killed it with the same jokes. But, yeah. But I. So I. I I just want, it's almost like I still want that detachment of like w- by bombing, I'm feeling rejected. It's just, yeah. it's just as, it's like, it's the same as feeling rejected by a girl. I'm feeling rejected by 80 people in the yeah. audience. I'm like, no, fuck you guys. This is good. But, yeah, like, but no, get, you don't know. You don't know me. I just killed over there. And it's, it's like, so much like golf. Like what I've realized is that comedy really is like golf. Like you can have, you can have like so many good or decent holes and then suddenly you'll have one bad hole and just fall fucking apart. And it's like, same with comedy where I had I was thinking about this recently. I had a great set Thursday, nailed all these new jokes. It was like just off the beam, didn't fucking five star landing, didn't even <laughs> trip. And then the next two nights like bombed. And it was like And it's not the growth we want, but it's the growth we need. Uh, and I have to tell myself so that because I'm painful. like I like I was talking to Tasha, like I uh, I got I got back from this mic and I was like I was like, I can't even tell you how shell-shocked. And I hate to compare it to anything. <laughs> I hate to. But it's like, I'd rather someone fucking beat me up physically. Yeah. Because like, I can recover from that quicker. Those bruises aren't as bad as the bruises on the inside. <laughs> but I wanted to say, we got to get out of here in a second. I feel like I could text you. We're already over an hour. But Are we? I'm, am I going to see you October 9th in Newport? Yeah. I'm going to be Well, on- I'll be there. I'm on the 6th and the 7th. Oh, is that early in the week? What's, what Thursday and Friday. Oh, 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 Friday's the 7th? Or Friday's the 8th, I thought. Either, I think so. Either way, I'm going to be there that the weekend. The 8th is Saturday and the 9th is So Sunday. for those listening... Oh, maybe not. I think the 9th is Saturday. Either way, whatever, we'll figure it out. That weekend, I uh, I just found out today that I'm on it. Oh, good. We're, we're both on the Rogue Island Comedy Festival in Newport, Rhode Island. Yeah. Our good buddy, Doug Key, runs this festival. But listen to this. Sex Actually Podcast is going to be doing a live podcast from the festival. Oh, cool. I don't know if you're around. I don't know, what, around. Da- I don't know what day it's going to be, but hopefully jump on if you yeah, are. Yeah, that would be, be a lot awesome. Of fun. We're probably going to do it at um, at one of the uh, coffee shops in Newport. It'll be an audience and all cool. that. So that'll be fun. That'll be so fun. So, Big announcement, though. Yeah. Um... Speaking of big announcements, I'm going to be the new Playboy advisor in the magazine. Yeah. Starting the, um, so now you have to buy the magazine. So, so you can't really, you told me off air, you can't get too far into what that entails, but that's a. I can't talk about what it's about, but it's like a big deal. I mean, I guess it's a big deal. People have told me it's a big deal. (laughs) I'm like, oh, cool. And you didn't even know that this was a position? Before? No, it's a long story about how it came about. And, but it just basically like, they were like, hey, give this a shot. And then I guess I did well. And then they were like, okay, you're going in the October issue. And so October, uh, September 20th, the issue comes out in a couple weeks. That's amazing. Yeah. And November, I'm doing it too. And hopefully from there on. All right, on. so get the issue. So I think this comes out, this will come out on Monday. So uh, the week after this comes out, get this issue of our girl, Bridget Fezzi here as the would you say you playboy are, advisor playboy it's like advisor. the iconic column you gotta like get the a advice column you gotta get a business playboy. card with the little bunny ears that's fucking crazy. badass it's crazy that's amazing it's something i mean i've wanted it like my i can't wait to see it in reality and like hold it because i remember being young and writing and being like someday i'm gonna be writing for playboy you will you sign my copy yeah amazing 
Cars. All right, we have we have so, we have so much to catch up on in the future with life, but I I, I love having you on so much. Thank this you was so much. The best of the, we've had three so far. They get better every time. So uh, thanks for spending the time talking to Thank us. Thank you for By having me. By the way, me. You're, the people who who follow you are also super loyal. I know they've been they've been tweeting and oh, stuff. Oh yeah, my fans are like friends and my small army of like whatever. I think they're an army. They're my army. Yeah, so I don't big, even call them fans. Yeah. So for Bridges Army, thank you guys <laughs> for falling into rank, listening, subscribing, rating I this love podcast. You. And thanks for being on it. Let's do it again soon. And I'll see you in Newport, Rhode Island uh, in, in like, like a month. month. Yeah. That's great. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye.